See if you can identify what I'm speaking of. What am I? I love praise, glory, and the approval of men. What am I? I get angry, fearful, or discouraged if I don't have the praise, glory, and approval of men. What am I? I hate to be wrong. I hate to be corrected by other people. What am I? I'm pride. I'm pride. Today in our text from Luke chapter 14, 7 through 11, we see the Lord Jesus Christ address a group of proud people about a very proud practice. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the Lord's place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus was at a dinner party with a Pharisee. They had been watching him like a hawk. It was the Sabbath day. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They were incensed that he would violate the Sabbath in such a way. And he rebuked them. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places. So Jesus was at a dinner party in the house of a Pharisee. And he rebukes them. Because he goes on to point out that they desire the higher places and that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As we consider this for a moment, consider some historical background. They arranged their tables, which wouldn't have been tables like we have, with long, tall legs and chairs that slide up under the tables, but it would have been more a low table that they would have reclined against. So they would kind of sit and they would prop themselves up on an elbow and they would lie there and they would eat their food and they'd use their right hand you know, to dip food out of the, the bowls and the dishes. So you can kind of picture it. Here are these tables and they would have basically a, a U-shaped. So there would be the table that would be there, at the, you might call it the bottom of the U, and then you'd have tables that would go up and they would kind of line the sides of the room. Well, the chief place was that table in the bottom of the U, and that was the table of the host. 
And so people wanted, in general, to have that chief seat, right? They wanted to be there close to the host. It's kind of like uh, usually the wedding reception. When you have tables lined up for the wedding party, the table that the bride and groom sit at is going to be in a central location, isn't it? With other people and tables facing them. And then the honored guests, which will be the wedding party generally, are going to sit at the same table or closest to those people. And then kind of as it fans out, you know, people sit farther and farther back. And then, you know, the folks that uh, were uh, gate crashers, you know, just came in, they'll, you know, find a place wherever they can get a seat type of thing. Well, Jesus is there. He's at this dinner party. The seats are there. Jesus is watching these guys as they come in. And what are they doing? They're making their way up to the front. They want to sit in the, the honorable place. They want to sit in the places of prominence. They want to be seen by everybody else. So, you can just picture it, can't you? These men in their robes, with their long beards, and they walk in. And they want everybody to be looking at them. Anybody that's there, they're trying to get there early so they can get to this chief seat before old Rabbi so-and-so beats them out, you know. But they're marching in, and they flip aside their robes, and they sit down in the chief place. But Jesus says, though, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and will come and say, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. Ah, what a humorous picture that is. So here you can just imagine a, a proud Pharisee. He walks in and he sits down at the table in the seat right next to the host, which would have been a place of honor on the, on the left hand and on the right hand of the host. Those were the places of honor. So he walks in and he, he sits down and the host isn't yet seated. Everybody knows where the seat is of the host, though. It's right there in the middle of that table. He walks in. He sits down. Everybody else files in. They begin to sit down. And then the host walks in, and he sees the interloper. And what does he do? He, he walks over, and he's like, I, I'm sorry, old boy. <laughs> Wrong seat. You've got to get to the back. So what happens? This guy has to get up and in front of everybody because the seats are filling up now in front of everybody. He has to go down, 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 down to the seat way down there in the back. And he's shamed in front of everyone. Jesus is saying, don't do this. Don't seek this approval and seek to go sit up front like this lest you be shamed when you do so. Don't seek out the best seats. Don't in pride exalt yourself to be seen by men. Isn't that what the Pharisees did best? Isn't that what they did best? You know the old Winnie the Pooh cartoons? That's what Tiggers do best. What do the Pharisees do best? They exalted themselves. They sought the glory of men. We see that, don't we, in the scriptures. Look at Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 
Matthew 23, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. What was the motivation of their heart? Even when they obeyed the law, they wanted to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. Do you know what a phylactery is? They would have little boxes and they would have the law written in those boxes and tied on their wrist or they'd have it tied on their forehead. It was an over-literal interpretation of Deuteronomy where God was telling the people, you know, bind these things on your wrists and on your foreheads and whatnot. God wasn't speaking literally there. He was saying, know the law of God. Expose yourself to the law of God regularly. Put it in a place where you can see it and where you can read it. What did they do? They took it over woodenly, literally, and they actually had little wooden boxes and tied them to their foreheads and their wrists. And they figured if they had the bigger box, it would mean they're the holiest. It's kind of like a, this testimony I heard once. This guy got saved, and he was zealous, you know, and in, in his zeal, he, uh, he said he went out and he got the biggest Bible that he could find. It, it was one of these family Bibles like that. He was so excited about being a Christian, he went out and got one of these, and he walked around with it under his arm. He said, you know those little fish necklaces, you know, that people wear? He said, I got a shark. (laughs) Now, in his case, it was just an overzealousness, you know. I want to be a Christian, and I want to do it right. I want to do it big, you know. I'm so excited about the gospel. These guys, though, they just wanted people to look at them and say, oh, wow, look at the size of his phylactery. That guy must be really holy. He can't even raise his arm up. It's so heavy. Wow, I want to be like him, you know. And Jesus says, that's not where it's at, man. That's not where it's at. He's warning them about these men. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. What is Jesus saying here? Rabbi meant teacher. It meant one who was, you know, of a, a spiritual authority in that Jewish religious system. Jesus isn't literally saying, don't let somebody call you a rabbi. What he's saying here is, don't exalt yourself to the position of ultimate prominence where you think you're better even than the Christ. Recognize who you are in the face of the Messiah, God himself. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. You know, he's not, he's not saying there that it's absolutely, literally sinful to call somebody father. You know, it's sinful for me to call Eric, or for Eric to call me father. He's not speaking about that specifically. What's he talking about? He's talking about not exalting men above their station and not seeking, in particular, to be exalted by men above your station. 
recognize that God holds that ultimate position of prominence and you are to be humble in the sight of God. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Okay, again, Jesus isn't literally saying that if somebody is teaching you a Sunday school class that you never say to them, Teacher, what do you think about this? No, again, he's talking about recognize and be humble in the presence of the Christ and don't exalt yourself above measure. Okay? Some people like to have all the titles because that makes them feel good about themselves and they're all about getting glory. That's what the problem was with these Pharisees. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, what does Jesus say then? He says, don't take this position of prominence, lest you be shamed, but rather, back in Luke 14, when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. In some sense, Jesus is speaking a little sarcastically here, I believe, to these men. He knows what they're all, all about. He knows that they're all about receiving glory. And so when he even talks about, then you're going to have glory, I think it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I think he was kind of exposing them, even in that statement. Okay, But it is also somewhat of a proverbial statement. Somewhat of a general statement, like those statements made in the Proverbs, that this is usually the way things are going to turn out when such and such happens. Uh, consider the Proverbs. They would have known this, Proverbs 25, 6 and, and uh, 7. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. See, they would have been familiar with that proverb. Jesus is harking back to it, I think, even in a sense. What does it also say in the Proverbs 27, verse 2? Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. See, the Pharisees were all about exalting themselves. They were all about, I want people to call me rabbi, rabbi, so I can bask in the praises of my minions. They wanted to be called father. They wanted to be called teacher. They wanted to be exalted above other people. Jesus is pointing out, no, don't, don't strive for that by jockeying for position and putting yourselves in the best place. Take the lower station in humility. If people exalt you, then you have not sought that, promoted that out for yourself in a sinful way. And then, Jesus makes it very clear here in our text in Luke that the focus of his attack is upon pride. It's upon the pride of these men. He makes it clear because he says, for whoever exalts himself will be 
humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus is telling them, don't be proud. Be humble. And by that statement, he is pointing to the spiritual truth that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice here, we see again what we call the divine passive voice. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humble. That's in the, that's in the passive voice when it says that he will be humbled. You know, we uh, talk about active and passive. You know, Jim hit the ball. That's active voice, right? Because the subject is doing the action. Passive voice is, Jim was hit by the ball. That would be the passive voice because the subject, you know, he is being acted upon by the subject. This says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. We call it the divine passive voice because who is it implying here will do the action? When it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, if you were to add by so-and-so, who do you think Jesus is saying will do the humbling or will do the exalting here? He's speaking about God. He's speaking about God in this instance. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled by God. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, in James chapter 4, verse 6, we see this. Speaking of God, it says there, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's uh, spoken of in 1 Peter 5, 5 as well, when it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it's showing us here and telling us specifically here in our relationships with other people that we are to humble ourselves in the presence of others. We're not to exalt ourselves. If others then give us praise, that's not sinful necessarily. That can be done in the form of godly, brotherly encouragement be done in a very righteous way, can be received in a righteous way. What is, what is it that makes the difference? It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's a matter of motivation, desire of the heart. We'll look at some of that a little more in particular. So as we consider that text from Luke, I want us now to look at another passage of Scripture, and I want us to glean some principles and learn some things about pride from this other account in Scripture. It's a very familiar account that we're going to look at. But I think there's some things we can learn about pride. Jesus is speaking directly about pride here. 
Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So now let's use the scriptures to illustrate some things about pride and then tie that back in with the text in Luke. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. When you get there, if you don't have that reference memorized, you'll uh, see that it's a very familiar account that we're going to look at. It's the account of David and his encounter with Goliath. Now, I want to mention, as we look at this, I'm not going into this passage necessarily to exegete it and bring out the main focus of the passage. I'm looking at the subject of pride, which Jesus has addressed here in Luke, And I'm using this scripture to illustrate some things about pride. But we will bring out some things about the text itself. The main focus of this text in particular is David knowing that the battle is the Lord's. And confident in the Lord's ability, the Lord's promises that he will fight for his people. And confident in the Lord's ability to overcome the enemies of God and then... We also know David is a type of Christ himself. And Christ always was faithful to his father and confident in his father's power and ability. But we're going to look at this and we're going to see some very proud people here. And we're going to see how they displayed their pride. And then we're going to consider how that ties in with whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's going on there in that passage? David, if you remember, had been anointed by Samuel to be Paul's or Saul's successor and become the next king of Israel. David was a shepherd. That's what he did in the family. He was the youngest son. He looked after the sheep. There were battles going on. People of Israel were fighting the Philistines. Jesse, David's dad, told David to take some food and stuff to David's brothers who were fighting in the battle. So David, obeying his father, goes down to take this food and deliver some stuff and and to see how his brothers are doing for his dad. But he gets down there and he sees that there's this giant named Goliath who is taunting the people of Israel and has thrown out a challenge. He said, you send one guy to fight me If I win, you guys will be my servants. The battle's over. You guys are my slaves. The slaves of us Philistines. If your guy wins, we'll be your slaves. So it's going to be a sudden death match between the two greatest warriors. Well, the Israelites had had forgotten. They had no faith in God. The promise of God that he would fight for them if they were faithful to him. So they were all shaking in their boots. And looking at Goliath and how big his boots were and saying, hey, we can't fight this guy. They're all afraid because they're not trusting in the Lord. But David comes up then and the men of Israel in verse 25 said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, speaking of Goliath. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Hey, there's a great deal. (laughs) No taxes. 
Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? I think David here is saying, the main point is that this guy is bringing a reproach unto Israel. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, you're saying all these prizes and stuff. You guys, we should be motivated by the fact that this guy is taunting us and bringing reproach upon God's people, Israel. And he says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See here, obviously, David's God focus, while these other people are focused on men, and in particular, one man. David's focusing on the shame and reproach to Israel that the men of the army don't trust the promise of God enough to face this heathen. The people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. He'll get all this loot, all these prizes. Now Big Brother steps in. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, is that a right judgment on the part of Big Brother? No, why was David there? Because his dad had told him to go. He was being faithful to his father. Ironically here, Eliab accuses David of pride, but it's Eliab who is exercising pride in this whole exchange. So let's consider some things about pride from this. Some of these I'm deriving from my knowledge of Scripture and knowledge of human experience. But then I think they're illustrated in this text. One is that pride is often the fountain source of anger. Pride is often the source of anger. You see, anger is a reaction. Anger is not something in and of itself. You can't go to the refrigerator and take out a bottle of anger. You can't pull your anger out of yourself, bottle it up and burn it or sell it or whatever. Anger is a response. It's a reaction. It's a reaction to the way that we're thinking. It's a reaction to what's going on in our hearts. And oftentimes what's at the very heart of anger is pride. So angry people are often proud people. Eliab here was very possibly feeling shame because he was a mighty warrior in Israel, but he was shaking in his boots just like the rest of the mighty warriors in the face of Goliath. And here comes baby brother and starts saying, why aren't you guys going after him? You're the army of the living God. This guy's bringing a reproach upon you. And so, he is responding, I believe, very possibly out of pride. His anger is flowing from pride. Here's another thing about pride. 
Pride takes comfort in the perceived faults of others. Okay? Pride is often the source of anger, but pride often takes comfort in the perceived faults of others. Somebody who's proud wants to be the one that's exalted. They want people to think well of them. They want to think well of themselves in light of other people. So if they can find some fault in somebody else, that's going to make them feel good, right? If I can just... If I can just find some fault in that person over there, then I can feel good about myself and I don't have to be fearful of them. What would be an example of that? I think it's even been promoted in psychology. I've seen it in, uh, in some different movies or television programs. The idea that, oh, okay, well, you have an inferiority complex, right? Here's, here's this guy. Maybe it's your professor at college. Maybe it's your boss, whoever it is. And whenever you're around them, you feel inferior. You feel afraid. You don't like being around them. So, think of everything bad that you can possibly think of about them. And when you think of all this, that's going to help you feel better about yourself, okay? I see a couple people grinning. Some of you may have seen uh, there was a, a, a TV program based on some writings of P.G. Woodhouse. There was a guy that named Spode, who was kind of a, a would-be dictator of sorts. And there was this guy named Gussie who felt really cowed, you know, in the presence of Spode. So he was told to write down all of the things that you could think of you don't like about or to think of all these things you, you don't like about Spode. And he wrote them down in a little book. You know, like his mustache looks like somebody squished a fly on his upper lip and things like that. Okay. All that to illustrate, though, isn't it the case? Pride takes comfort in the perceived faults of others. And maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you didn't even realize it was pride, but you felt fearful or insignificant or inferior in somebody's presence. And then you saw them make a mistake, and all that just made you feel so good. I've been there. <laughs> you know, listening to some famous preacher and Oh, they misspoke and had to correct themselves. Oh, boy, that makes me feel better. <laughs> could that be flowing from pride? Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could. Well, what does Eliab do here? He accuses David of neglecting his duties and taking a joy walk to see the battle. Was that what David was really doing? No, David was obeying his father. But Eliab was looking for something bad in David so that he could feel better about himself because rather than face the truth that he needed to be a strong warrior and trust in the Lord and be able to fight against Goliath, if he could just shoot David down for some fault, then he could feel better about himself. Very possibly what's going on there. If the proud person can find a fault in his opponent, He'll point it out and then feel better about himself. We call this blame shifting, right? Blame shifting. Do you have a tendency to do that? Do you know people that do that? Anytime you're corrected or anytime they're corrected, what do they do first of all? They say, yeah, but you. Oh, but you... 
that grows from pride, doesn't it? That's not humility. Humility will first examine itself and say, are you right? You may be right. I need to consider if I'm wrong here. That's the first action of humility. first action of pride is to point the finger of blame to the other person and try and discredit them. The Pharisees were good at that too, weren't they, with Jesus? Let's tie this back in with Jesus in his lifetime. What were they trying to do? They were always out to find something to discredit Jesus. Jesus would speak and they would have no answer for him. But they hated him so much in their pride because he exposed their pride that they were out to get him even though he had done nothing wrong. That's what pride does. Pride also, I think we see an example of this here, pride talks down to others. What What did Eliab say there? Have you let those few sheep in the wilderness <laughs> like alright baby brother you little shepherd boy go back to your sheep you're neglecting your duty don't try and run with the big dogs go back to your little flock of sheep over there Pride talks down to others Eliab should have humbled himself trusted the Lord who had promised to fight for his people acknowledged that David was right and volunteered to fight Goliath himself. That's what he should have done. Verse 29 then. David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock... I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow! I mean, look at David's God-centeredness here. He trusts in the Lord. He knows the battle belongs to the Lord. The rest of the Israelites were just looking at the man, and they were looking at themselves as men, and they are saying, this can't happen. They weren't trusting the Lord. But uh, let's consider a few other things, though, about pride now from this exchange. First of all, it is not necessarily pride to speak about your successes. Think about that for a moment. Some people think that humility is always speaking poorly of yourself. Somebody compliments you and says, Oh, that was a fantastic cake. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. I'm not really a good cook. It was terrible. 
Wow, boy, you you did a good job painting that picture. Oh no, 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 no. It's 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 terrible. I, I'm not a good artist. It's terrible. No, that's not necessarily humility. As a matter of fact, that can be pride because you want people to think how humble you are. And so you're saying things that aren't really accurate to try and get people to think about how humble you are, okay? But notice David here. David mentioned some successes in in fighting, in battle, right? What did he do? He said, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And then he talks about the lion and the bear. And then he says, This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So David makes his case to Saul. and says, I can do it. And here's why. But what's David's focus here? It's not on himself. He's, he didn't say, I did it because I was so, I was so strong. Look at my biceps. Look at, look at my wrist. When I squeeze my wrist, all my little veins pop out and got all these muscles in there. He, did, he wasn't saying that, was he? He, wasn't, he didn't take out a sling and go out and say, look at this, watch how accurate I am. He just explained, this is what happened, and then he said, he gave the credit to God. And he said, God will fight for me, and he will deliver this Philistine into my hand. And you know what? He convinced Saul. He convinced Saul. Now maybe Saul was thinking, well, you know, he goes out there, he gets killed, we don't honor the agreement, and no big deal, you know, everything's kind of back to where it was before. Maybe, but you know what? I think it's very possible here that Saul was seeing something there he was seeing God working through this young man, David. I think that's very possible. Very possible. Well, then what happens? Saul says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. Notice this emphasizes that he tried to walk. <laughs> So, it, it, this wasn't working. You can just picture it. Him clanking and tripping over his own feet, you know, and tri- tripping over the shield and landing on me. Who knows? And he says, I cannot walk with these. I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. And a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Pride often sees itself as the big man. That's what Goliath was doing, right? He didn't look at David and say, Okay, these Israelites might have something up their sleeve here. (laughs) What's going on? He just looked at him and he just... They send this child out here to fight me? Look at me! Look how big I am. Look how much I can bench press. 
Consider the weight of my spear. Boy, you couldn't even pick my spear up. What are you doing out here? I mean, he considered himself the big man. In his pride, he never considered for an instant that David might be a threat. He was the big man. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And then the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Pride trusts in its own strength, resources, and false gods rather than the Lord God Almighty. He was trusting in the strength of his arm, the training, the battles that he had fought, his armor and his weapons, and false gods. And thus it is the case with pride. That's why you can have proud people who seem who boast so much and who seem to accomplish so much but trust in their own resources and they're not giving credit to God and it all flows from pride. But we know what happens, don't we? The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. David says, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. I'm coming with the authority and with the power of God Almighty, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know. Here's the reason. Here's why this this exalting speech is not pride. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not say with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's why David could stand and say such powerful things about what he would accomplish because he knew that it was God working through him and that the battle was the Lord's. That's not pride. Oftentimes people take confidence in the Lord as pride. If you display any confidence in the Lord and the Lord's ability to work through you, they'll say, well, that's a proud person. Not necessarily. Where's the credit going? See, that's the key, right? When the battle's over or when the battle's raging, where do you point the finger of glory and honor and credit? Is it, is it this way? Or is it that way? To God. And what happened? The Philistine arose, came and drew near to David. David hurried, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on the earth. And he prevailed. He took the sword of Goliath, chopped off Goliath's head with his own sword. And then the rest of the Philistine army was routed when they saw their enemy fall at the hands of this little warrior. So David displayed boldness without pride because he believed in a big God. I want to tie this into our theology for just a minute. We promote a big God. We believe God is sovereign. That He is powerful. 
that he accomplishes his purposes. That he has all knowledge. That he is the Lord God Almighty. We believe in the work of salvation, that it is God who has done it. It is God who elects. It is God who justifies. It is God who calls us to salvation. This, believing in the bigness of God, should result in humility. Right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't lead us to exalt in ourselves and our theology and to beat people over the head and to consider them low and lesser than us if they don't know what we know about the sovereignty of God. You see? What, what should it do? We should be humbled in the sight of God because the glory goes to God. It doesn't go to us. It goes to God. We rest in God for our salvation, not ourselves. And we recognize God's grace in our lives to give us the ability to do that which is right. And so we should be very humble people. The only thing that we bring to our own salvation is our own depravity. I remember hearing an account about a, a camp meeting. The evangelist is preaching. Somebody stands up and gives a testimony and it's God-centered. They're saying, you know, God saved me, praise the Lord. And the, the evangelist says, okay, brother, you're talking about God and, and His part. What was your part? And he, and he just went on, well, God saved me, God did the work. Well, no, 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 what was your part? And he goes, oh, oh, what was my part? My part was I was running against God, away from God as fast as I can go and fighting against Him and He came and He got me. He says, my part, I was fighting against God. But praise God for His salvation. There's our, there's our part. We're rebelling, fighting against God and the Holy Spirit comes in. And He plants those seeds. And He brings me life. The Pharisees didn't understand their part in salvation. In Luke 18, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others as a result. And you guys know this parable, don't you? Luke 18, 9 through 14. We who have been saved by God should be the most humble of people. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we should focus on God's sovereign grace and power, and this will help us to be humble in his sight. We need to realize that we don't need to be seen by men and praised by men and glorified by men. If we're a child of God, we're in favor with Jesus Christ. We're in favor with God Almighty. Do we need approval and favor from all others to be fulfilled and complete when the very sovereign of the universe loves us and treasures us beyond measure? We can sit down then in less prominent seats and be content. And if others call us forward, we can humbly and gratefully take that position. Not thinking, well, it's all about me. It's about time that they honored me and saw my value. But we can say, thank you, Lord, that I've been gifted in this way. We can say, Lord, bless these people for their generosity. And think about Christ. Is He not a perfect example? Is He not a perfect example? The God of the universe, what does He do? The work of a servant. He bends down with a towel and he wipes the dirty feet of his disciples. You all know the passage, right? In Philippians chapter 2. That he took upon him the form of servant and was made in the likeness of men. And what's the admonition to us? Have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him. He humbled himself in the sight of God, and God raised him up. God hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus took upon himself our form, humbled himself. He gives us a, a living, godly, practical example of the ultimate humility. And this principle is divinely carried out right in front of the eyes of the proud and pompous Pharisees, even as they scream for his death, the one who humbled himself has been exalted by God. And one day, if you are, if you are the Lord, even if you're not the Lord, you're going to witness that event. You will bow and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will either do it willingly and with joy, or it will be forced from you, but you must admit on that day 
And here's the glorious thing. I mentioned this in Sunday school. If you are Christ, and He has accomplished this work on your behalf, and you have trusted and believed in Him for your salvation, you will be glorified with Jesus. He's been given the name above every name. No, your name ain't going to be that high, alright? But, we're promised that we will be glorified with Him. Shouldn't that lead us to true humility? If we recognize how undeserving we are of that honor and that favor. But that it is God Himself who will come down. And will say, Come up here and sit by me. Come take this place of honor with me at my table. Oh, glory. What a glorious God we serve. What a glorious Savior. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We, we exalt our Lord Jesus. We ask, Father, you would help us to be truly humble in your sight. Help us, Father, not to be proud. Help us not to think that we always have to be right and that we need to be looking out for our own and trying to get what's ours and get people to acknowledge and praise us. Oh, no, Father. Help us to be humble, even as Christ was humble. He who deserved the praises of men, he who deserved the place of honor at every feast, But yet he even stooped and performed the act of a servant to demonstrate what true greatness in your kingdom really is. May you help us to be truly great in your eyes, our God. May we know that the battle is yours, the praise and the glory goes to you. And may we then trust you to lift us up. And then may we praise you for your grace and favor in exalting and glorifying us. I know on that day, we won't be saying, oh, well God, you finally, you finally took me to the place of honor that I deserve. Oh no. Oh, we will be praising you for your generosity in honoring us and we will be delighting in our Savior, Jesus, and His exaltation. What glory that will be. Help us, Father. We are yours. Save us. Humble us in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.